Well, hello, everyone. This is Jamie Oichel from RunningRestaurants.com, and this is going to be a very, very important session that could potentially save your restaurant big bucks down the line and ultimately help be the difference between the success or failure of your restaurant. And I don't want to be overly dramatic there, right, but the lease you sign or the real estate deal you do can absolutely make or break your restaurant. It's that important. So I've got just the guy to walk you through all the pitfalls and guide you to do, to do the right thing for your restaurant. Joining me is Dale Willerton. He is the founder of The Lease Coach and co-author of Negotiating Commercial Leases and Renewals for Dummies. Dale serves clients and speaks at events all around the country as an expert on restaurant leasing. I've known Dale for years, and I always enjoy hearing his talks, and I know that you will too. Why did you write Negotiating Commercial Leases and, and Renewals for, dum for Dummies? Sorry about that. Jamie, a lot of people don't realize that... Prior to becoming the lease coach, I spent many, many years working for landlords. I was a shopping center manager, a commercial leasing agent, a property manager, and I was paid very well to help the landlord. And in 1993, something, something triggered in me that I wasn't expecting. I was uh, representing a particular landlord. I was at their, at their property. And we had what's called a walk-in. Someone just walked in the front door to make a leasing inquiry. Now, remember, this is 1993, and I'm working for the landlord. I'm their leasing rep at this property. And she says, uh, we're interested in leasing some space. Can you help me? And I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, um, have you ever signed a lease agreement before? And she said, no, this will be our first business. Okay. I said, all right. And I said, um, have you had a chance to look around the neighborhood at any other properties in the area? She said, no, my husband and I drive past this property all the time. We really like this property. We want to lease here. And I said, well, you know, unless we have the right space for you, that won't matter. Why don't I give you a tour, show you the spaces we have available? Now, in many respects, she was just being honest and open like most people are. But she was tipping her hand. She was showing me her, me her cards because she told me that she was already emotionally attached to this building. She wasn't looking around. She wasn't creating competition for her tenancy. She wanted to buy what we were selling, which was leasing the commercial space. And secondly, she said, very honestly, she said she'd never signed a lease before. So she didn't know the process. And that meant I was going to be able to take her through the process and she would basically accept what I told her. So long story short, I show her the building. One unit, 4,000 square feet, suits her perfectly. She said, how do we get going on this? I said, well, I've got a standard offer to lease. You put down a one-month deposit. And once you sign the offer to lease, we send it out of town to the landlord. The landlord was absentee. They were in another city. And I was their local leasing rep. So she said, well, let me take it with me. She took it with her, came back two days later, and said, I'm ready to go. I had a chance to talk to my lawyer about it, and I said, well, do you have any issues? And she said, no, my lawyer had no changes to the wording, which I thought was a bit suspicious and a bit odd. Okay? And I said, well, this is where you sign. You'll write a one-month deposit check. And she said, but my lawyer thought I should get two months of free rent. See, I had offered her, as a leasing incentive, Jamie, I'd offered her one month of free rent. Right. She came back and said she needed two months of free rent. I said, well, it's your offer. I said, I crossed off one and I wrote in two. She signed it. 
wrote a deposit check. Three days later, the offer comes back from the landlord accepted. No changes. The deal was accepted. Now, in some ways, she did okay. I offered her one month of free rent, and she asked for two and got it. What she did not know was that I had been pre-authorized by the landlord to give up to six months of free rent to anyone that asked for it. See, she didn't ask for it. She didn't do her due diligence. She didn't do her homework. And consequently, she didn't get the greater deal that she could have. Now, fast forward a year later. A year later, I'm now the lease coach. I've stopped working for landlords, and I'm representing tenants as a lease consultant. Somebody says, describes a property they're looking for, and I said, you know, what you're describing sounds like a property I used to lease. Why don't I show it to you? Showed it to them, and we did a deal for that tenant. Now, in her particular case, she signed a five-year lease and got two months of free rent. I was able to get from my client a three-year lease with the first 12 months free. That's the difference. That's the difference between having a guy like me working against you or a guy like me working for you. And that was, you know, that was a point where I really realized tenants were leaving too much on the table. Tenants didn't, they were, they were what's called unconscious incompetence. They didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know what to negotiate for. They didn't know what to ask for. They didn't understand the process. And I really respect entrepreneurs. I really respect restaurant owners. They're hard workers, but they're often not their own best negotiators. And so, you know, this Four Dummies book that I've written is actually my third book. I've written two more prior to this um, on the same subject because it's that important to these tenants. So that's the long answer to your question. Well, I appreciate that because I I, I don't know that I'd heard that whole whole story before. What a story, uh, and it really brings out and highlights the difference there. And you, I, I just wrote down a couple notes that, that I like. You know, leaving too much on the table. Absolutely, that's a big one. And you, you highlighted the example there. Uh, conscious incompetence. I wrote that down. That's that's absolutely true. We don't know what we don't know. And um, uh, so, so, so really good stuff there. Let me, let me, let me follow up on that and and say, you know, what what are some of the issues that you see the tenants do face when they work with an agent or a broker? What else, what else can possibly come up there? Oftentimes, uh, a tenant will blindly put their trust and put their faith into a real estate broker, often because they don't know there's any other alternatives. When I'm speaking at a restaurant show, giving a seminar, one of the things that I, that I say, I look into the audience and I say, now, if you were having a legal problem with your landlord, how many of you would share the landlord's attorney or share the landlord's lawyer? And of course, nobody, they all say, well, I wouldn't share their attorney. I say, well, why would you share the landlord's broker? Why would you let the listing broker on the property, the the broker or the agent that has their for lease sign on the property, why would you let them represent you? Because they've already signed a contract to represent the landlord. The landlord is paying them a really hefty commission so that the broker will get the landlord the best deal possible, the highest rent, a personal guarantee, big deposit, yada, yada, yada. You see, so it's really... 
if you, if you think through it that way, they all start nodding their heads and going, well, yeah, I see what you mean. You know, why would I, why would I use the landlord's agent? But then they think, well, since the landlord has their agent, I guess I'll get my agent. And that's, you know, that's kind of logical thinking. But what they don't realize is that both agents are still splitting a commission paid by the landlord. Right. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I remind tenants, I say, when was the last time anyone did anything for you for free that had any value? Right. I mean, you think this agent's going to go out there and, you know, work and represent you and try to get you a great deal, but the landlord's paying them. You know, that just doesn't jive. Right. You know, even the most altruistic broker knows who's buttering his bread and it's not the tenant. So they've just got to be a little bit more savvy about that relationship. Anything, anything you say to, to an agent, you have to assume gets repeated to the landlord. And so confiding in your agent can often be a, you know, a really big mistake because they're, you know, the agent, the agent's being paid by the landlord. I remember seeing a piece and I forget the exact details, but it was, it was exactly similar to what you're talking about where at the end of the day, you know, and, and agents, um, uh, incentive is not the word I'm looking for, but their goal really is to get a deal done and move on, whether it's, uh, you know, they, they just want to get a deal done because they have a client and they have a client. And so there's just so much work to get that deal done versus letting it go and starting a new one and then maybe the client falls away and stuff like that. So so they're really pushing to, to make mm -hmm. sure it happens. And so I can, I can see where there would be some issues and, and, and so forth. And, and like you said, uh, you know, who's, who is uh, ultimately paying, paying the bills? And they're aware of that, but um... I, I, wa I want to bring up, Jamie. I want to bring up the word tenant rep because it's very natural for a restaurant owner to say, "Well, I'm going to get a tenant rep. I'm going to get a tenant rep broker to help me," and that sounds good. Now, I don't call myself a tenant rep because that term has been bastardized. That's an oxymoron to say I'm going to represent the tenant but get paid by the landlord. Like that doesn't really jive. So that. It sounds right. Who wouldn't want to get a tenant rep? But if they're getting paid by the landlord, it's a big question mark. Now, a couple of months ago when I spoke at the Florida restaurant show, there happened to be a, an agent sitting in the audience. And he, he kind of, when I talked about this, he was like, well, you're making us sound all unethical. And I said, well, no, not at all. I actually handed him the microphone so he could have his say. Because agents and brokers are people just like you and me. But they are professional salespeople, and their job is to sell you on signing the lease. They don't get paid if you don't sign the lease. Well, many times when I'm representing a tenant, I earn my fee by stopping them from signing a bad lease or stopping them from signing a lease that's not going to be good for them. And so sometimes that's where the value comes is, is in not doing the deal, knowing which deals not to do. And it's really important to remember that the agent who's earning a commission doesn't have a lot of incentive to get the tenant a better deal because it carves into his commission. Like, for example, uh, if the, the higher the rent, the more commission the agent earns. Well, tenants want to pay less rent, right? If I get a tenant, if I do a restaurant deal and I get the tenant 12 months of free rent, if the agent does that, the agent doesn't get paid a commission on those 12 months. And I've had tenants say to me, my agent doesn't really seem to be fighting for any free rent. And I said, well, he doesn't get paid for that. 
So it's kind of an eye-opener for a lot of these restaurant owners. I think um, one of the things you, you hit on there is is hitting the stop button, right? And you, you talked about earlier on getting emotionally attached to a property, and then I, I hit it in the opening. I said this can ultimately make or break your, your your if you do the wrong deal and you're paying too much rent for your concept, for your traffic, for what you can do revenue-wise, and you sign the wrong deal. Well, you're going to find out pretty soon that that you can't make that up. There's no way to change that, and then all of a sudden it's it's flipping over into a new property. And so yeah, hitting yeah. that stop button at the right time is is key. And so I think you hit on it, but, but if you were to highlight, you know, uh, is there any, any other differences between working with, um, you know, yourself and your company versus the, some of the, the other, the other options that are available, what else would be a, a highlight there? Well, the lease coach has strategically differentiated itself from a traditional brokerage or agency kind of relationship. When we work for the tenant, the tenant pays a preset project fee that is typically divided into about six months. So you pay as the work is being done. If we're negotiating, let's say, a lease renewal for a restaurant owner, we don't pre-decide that you're going to renew or you're going to move. We completely, you know, research the market area, research the market rents, and we will make multiple um, deals to get you the best possible deal. So for example, on a, on a new location, an agent might say to you, well, let's put in one offer. And I say, no, let's find five properties and invite five proposals. See, we should not be pursuing, the tenant should not be pursuing the landlord. The landlord should be pursuing the tenant. The tenant is the customer. And so when a real estate agent writes an, an LOI or a letter of intent, on behalf of a tenant to a landlord, you're putting yourself in the wrong position. Okay, you're putting yourself in a poor negotiating position. What I do is I go out and, and we, you know, a, t a restaurant owner will typically say, well, we love this property or we want to stay in our current property, but we'd consider these other two properties. I go out and get proposals from the landlord. I want to be the batter, not the pitcher. You see, and by negotiating on multiple locations simultaneously, we can get the tenant the best deal possible. Remember, agents are not bad people. They are, uh, agents do a very good job, in my opinion, they're, but they're doing that job for the landlord, not the tenant. And that's the, that's the understanding here. Now, keep in mind, landlords don't typically budget to pay commissions on lease renewals for restaurants. So even if a tenant uses an agent at the, you know, for a, for a new location, usually agents don't get involved in the renewal process because landlords don't want to pay a commission. And essentially, if you do use an agent on your renewal, they're just selling you back to the landlord is really what they're doing. Okay. So be aware what of What about that. something that you just, you just made me think about is, um, so, and, and, and the story you told of the, of the person in the beginning where she kind of started to negotiate on yourself and maybe that, 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 that lease renewal, a lot of people probably say, oh, I'll just negotiate myself. I've been here 10 years. I know these guys. Uh, let me look at the paperwork and let me just make a few changes. What, what are some of the mistakes people can make when they, when they do that, when they negotiate for themselves? Well, typically they are too uh, forthcoming. You know, these restaurant owners, I'd like to have more of them as my friends, but I would never let them touch my lease. They're just too forthcoming with the information. They say, you know, they'll go to a landlord, let's say, about a, a, about a renewal, 
and they'll say, well, we've been in this building for nine years. Uh, we want to do $100,000 of renovations. We're going to change our menu a bit. We're buying new tables and chairs. We're doing a nice you know, $200,000 update to the restaurant. Um, now let's talk about my renewal. Well, right there, you've given away the farm. You've, you've told them that you've already emotionally decided to stay in that location. When I approach a landlord on behalf of a tenant, instead of saying, my, my client wants to renew his lease, I say to the property manager, do you think the landlord wants this tenant to stay for another five or 10 year term? And usually there's two or three seconds of silence and then the property manager says, well, of course we want them to stay. They're not thinking of moving, are they? Well, that's mm -hmm. when we've got them. See, now they're chasing us. And so the, the, the tenant doesn't understand that there's a difference between batting and pitching. And we want to bat, not pitch. We want them coming after us. So that's a big part of it. But the other thing, and, and this is really, really important, when I talk to a tenant that's thinking of hiring the lease coach, I say, you know, this decision that you're making, you're going to open up a restaurant, this is the biggest decision you're going to make in the next five or ten years. And I say, for me, it's, it's Wednesday. For me, is it today, Tuesday, or Wednesday? I say, for me, it's <laughs> for, for losing track of time. I say, for me, it's Wednesday. This is all I do. And right. so the, 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 uh, what I want the tenant to understand is that the landlord and the landlord's leasing reps and the landlord's property managers, they're, they're sitting in an office 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, doing this all day. This is normal. The, the tenant approaches the leasing process like, let's get this over with. This is painful. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. The, the tenant is often on the defensive instead of the offensive positioning. You know, the, the tenant is often hoping just not to lose, just not to sign a bad deal, let alone trying to get a good deal. Whereas the landlord and their people are, hey, let's, let's go nine or ten rounds on this. You know, they're prepared to negotiate for as long as it takes. And that's part of the difference. For a landlord, owning the property and finding tenants is the end game. For the tenant, for the restaurant tenant, they don't want to lease space, Jamie, but that's the only way they can open their restaurant. You see? So it's not, it's not a... It's not a partnership when a tenant and a landlord sign a lease. It's not like a husband and wife marriage because you might have one landlord. The landlord might have 300 tenants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, and it's interesting, the psychology behind uh, the deal yeah, making. Yeah, exactly. The applied, right, psycho you know, the applied psychology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the owner wants to get into a property and get started and start cooking. And, and, and really, there's, there's like, like you pointed out, it, it, they're, they're doing it day in and day out. So you have, to, you have to slow down and do this right. And what, 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 one of the things that I'm sure people look at first is, is the, um, what is the rent? That's probably the first question. What's the rent? And, uh, you know, oh, the rent's, going, the rent's going up every year, right? I mean, what, what can happen with the rent? How can things be structured? What are some things you've seen that make a good deal? Well, first of all, at the Lease Coach, we specialize in negotiating lease renewal rent reductions for existing tenants. It's really a myth that rents have to go up year after year. Landlords will tell you that. Real estate brokers will parrot that and say the same thing. But, you know, our goal is to get the, the existing restaurant tenant a rent reduction. Now, on new locations... Doing a market research is important. Sometimes I will come to my client and I will say, look, 
the rent they're asking is appropriate. Okay, it's not a, it's, we researched that this is an appropriate rental rate for this property at this location in the property, you know, with or without a drive-through, that kind of thing. But can you afford it? Can, and, and mathematically, we can sit down and I can say to the tenant, look, in order for you to be able to pay this rent and make a profit, your sales have to be X. If you don't see yourself having X as your sales, it wouldn't be smart to sign the lease. Okay, like this is all fairly predictable because a restaurant client will typically, you know, on the low side, they'll say 6% of their gross sales can go to their gross rent. That's called their occupancy cost. On the high side, maybe 12%. If you're, if you're operating your restaurant and you're paying 16% of every dollar you take in to the landlord, you're, you're losing money. It's just mathematically, you know, it can be calculated. So a lot of the mistakes that first-time restaurant owners make don't have to happen. It's not wishful thinking. We, we can predict, you know, what they can afford to pay in rent. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's absolutely a mathematical formula that if you get your, you know, at the end of the day, there's your, your prime cost and then your other fixed costs. But if you're out of whack, there's no way to make money, and so you have to have this be be an important piece of it. So, um, we're, we're, as we start wrapping towards uh, this conversation, and there's tons of stuff we could talk about, and I want to invite mm-hmm. you back because I know we could dig into some other stuff and, and really, really have some fun. But we've co- we've covered a bit so far. But if you were to say, here's a few more points that restaurant tenants overlook or that they need to be aware of, or there's pitfalls. What would, what would you add a few more points on? The permitted use clause. This is often overlooked. And so with an, with, a, with an existing restaurant, they have a permitted use clause. And it's very normal to want to change or your, your menu wants to evolve over a period of time. But the landlord may not permit that because you're crossing over into someone else's use. So if you're, but if you're opening a brand new restaurant... I get my client to type out their menu. They don't have to print the the fancy menu, but type out everything that they want, and we attach that as a permitted use clause because sometimes, you know, they think, well, we're going to start selling, you know, we're going to start with this, and then we're going to add that. Well, that better be on your menu now. Don't assume you can sell whatever you want to sell. Um, Another one is signage. Now, tenants mistakenly think that, the landlord is going to approve anything reasonable the tenant requests. So the tenant says, I want to have grand opening signage. I want to have a, 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 a sandwich board on the sidewalk. I want to have a pull-away sign on the boulevard. And the landlord ends up saying no to these things, and you, and you wish you'd put them in the lease agreement. Okay, like don't take those things for for granted. Um, I remember going through a process with one client where the landlord represented to the tenant that there was a grease trap. When we went in writing, literally in writing, when we went into the space and looked, there was no grease trap. It was a $30,000 grease trap, and the landlord said, well, sorry, we'll pay for half and you pay for half. Well, the tenant was rightfully upset and walked away from the deal, you know, Landlords make mistakes, too. They make mistakes in their square footage discrepancies, uh, measuring the space. It's called phantom space. You know, that's really um, common. Patios are a big point of disagreement. The Let's say there's a patio space, Jamie, and 
the landlord says, yeah, that, that's your patio. The landlord's thinking you're going to put out three tables and six chairs. You put out 10 tables and 40 chairs. Now you've got a battle with your landlord. Nobody thought to really determine how, you know, visually are there parameters around that patio. I had a, a client come to me once and he said, you know, Dale, he said, I thought I was leasing a 3,000 square foot restaurant with a patio. After the dust settled, after I signed the lease and we went in there, it turned out to be a 2,000 square foot restaurant with a 1,000 square foot patio. He said, that's not big enough for my concept. He said, I've got other restaurants. He said, I'm hooped. I got to unload this one. But he'd already signed his lease. Okay. There's so many fatal mistakes tenants can make if they don't have someone helping them. And, you know, getting lawyered up really isn't the answer, Jamie, because a lawyer tends to look at the legality of the lease agreement. They're not telling you, hey, have you measured the space? Have you determined there's, you know, certified area? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. A lawyer will often glaze over many really negotiable clauses in a lease agreement because they're not illegal. They're not wrong. They're bad for the tenant, but the lawyer often doesn't make that decision or, or point that out to the tenant because that's considered to be subjective. It's not legal, mm -hmm. right? Sure. You know, hours of operation, things like that, parking. I want to I want to talk just for one minute about parking. I have a client in San Antonio. They run a couple of very successful restaurants. The problem is the landlord has put so many restaurants into the property that now during the dinner hour and during lunchtime, there's no place to park. People will make a reservation at their restaurant, right. drive up, and cancel their reservation because they've circled the parking lot and couldn't find a place to park. So they do the best thing they can. They go in and cancel their reservation and drive away, right? Oh. So be sensitive to that. Like the, the parking, you know, and it doesn't have anything to do with a bad landlord, but if there's loads of restaurants in one property, there's going to come a time when there probably isn't going to be enough parking. And what are you legally entitled to in the lease agreement? And you thought that through. Okay. So all those things are what we focus on at the lease coach as we take a tenant through the, the leasing process. Yeah, and I've seen that parking one come up uh, on, a, on a plaza that changes their mix of people, and all of a sudden at certain times of day, yeah, you can't park, and so the, the customer gets frustrated and, and goes elsewhere and, uh, and, and so forth. So that's a big one. So, so yes, you, you hit it uh, three, four, uh, or more, actually, overlooked items, and, um, and just know that as, as the tenant coming in on a lease deal, if you don't know this already, there's lots of negotiated points. There's lots of, lots of items like that that can really, really affect you down the line now. Um, uh, Dale, I, I, I most recently saw you, and I've seen you before, but I saw you at the, the Florida restaurant show in Orlando recently. Um, but where else do you speak? Um, where else could folks come out and to hear you? Where, where could they meet you? That sort of thing. I just did a presentation at the Baltimore, at the, at the Mid-Atlantic uh, Restaurant Show in Baltimore. I have, I speak at the New York, Florida, and California restaurant shows each year. I think I'm up to seven or eight years in a row. The Northwest Restaurant Show in Portland. Um, the Texas Restaurant Association not only had me come and speak at the Texas Restaurant Show, but then they had me do a, 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 an event for each one of their chapters in Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and then up in Dallas. So I get around quite a bit. I do a lot of work in the restaurant industry. And I want to remind your listeners that we're very 
giving with our time. You can book 30 minutes on the phone with me to talk about your situation. There's no charge for that. And if you're, if you're really serious about getting a, a proper lease deal, and you should be, okay, because you may not be able to sell your restaurant if you don't have a proper lease. And we work with tenants on their assignments, whether they're buying or selling a restaurant. Um, I want you to reach out to me and either visit our site, theleasecoach.com, and fill out the form to request a free consult or email me personally. If you go to our website, all of the contact information is there and request a complimentary copy of my book. I will autograph it for you. I will spend my money on the postage and send it to you. But don't be surprised if it doesn't open up a lot of questions for you that you never even thought to ask. Okay, um, we're really here to help the tenant, and that's part of what differentiates us from a brokerage as well. Is that we're we're just happy to you know give you an hour or two of advice, review your documents, you know, give you some coaching, keep you on track. That that's what we live for. That's our that's our end game. Awesome. Yeah, I was I I've seen the book, and I was going to uh, highlight that. So I was going to ask how folks would get a copy, so they can go to your website. You have a you have a form or you have a contact form on there. They yeah. can request a copy of the book, find more information. Okay, and, and we'll send it um, out complimentary. It's it's also available at, at, at Amazon.com and at all the Barnes and Noble. I've never been in a Barnes and Noble that didn't have our book. They typically only have one copy, but when that sells, then they do a replacement. But if you reach sure. out to me, I'll send you a a free copy. And if you want to. You know, it's 330 pages, so uh, like any Four Dummies book, it's meant to be, you know, you don't typically read it from front to back. You dive into the sections that apply to you, deposits, guarantees, things like that. And guarantees are really something, that's a really good uh, um, cornerstone for our next podcast, Jamie, is personal guarantees and how to negotiate those and deposits because so many tenants get stuck on those personal guarantees and it didn't have to happen if you talk to me. Okay, Most of our clients don't pay a deposit or a personal guarantee when they sign a lease and there's a way to negotiate that, but that's going to take another podcast. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll schedule it. We'll get in. So, so folks, I hope, I hope if you listen to this, I know I took down, I scribbled down a whole bunch of notes. I hope you did as well. There is a lot there. Dale is the man for this. I mean, if you, he's seen it all and can help you guys get this right without reinventing the wheel. These guys do it day in and day out. So they're great. I, I, I knew I would enjoy it, Dale. I love hearing you kind of talk and share some stories. So I appreciate you being Thank with you, me Dan. here today. It's my pleasure. Remember, restaurant tenants don't get what they deserve. They get what they negotiate. So I look forward to hearing from your listeners. There you go. Great. Well, folks, this has been Jamie Oichel from RunningRestaurants.com along with Dale Willerton of The Lease Coach. Be sure to check them out on the web at TheLeaseCoach.com. Thank you so much for listening and all the best for your restaurant business.